0: Hello and welcome to episode Victor Mete of the Cosper Pointcast. I'm your host, Trevor Shackles. It's a trade deadline edition of the show, and to join me once again, it's Graham Nichols, aka Sixth Sense. Graham, how's it going?
1: Not too bad. How are you, man?
0: I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for coming on again. Um, You know, there obviously isn't as much substance to discuss this year compared to some other deadlines in years past, but, um, you know, you said just before this you're listening to Pierre Dorian's press conference, so obviously always a lot of content involved there and you know he was pretty busy today leading up to the the three o'clock deadline and I thought we could just go over all four of the moves he made um, over the last few days and you know let's just start off with the biggest move which was on Sunday evening and that was Nick Paul to Tampa Bay for Matthew Joseph and a fourth how do you think Dorian did on this one?
1: It obviously, it remains to be seen, right? Like, I thought going in that they would try and get uh, a player or a pick of highest value. And obviously, they went the young player route. Um, Tampa Bay made Matthew Joseph expendable in beliefs that Nick Paul will give them a better opportunity to win in the postseason. I always kind of find it interesting, right? Like, that's the interesting dynamic is that a team like Tampa that has a pretty good core that's had success before views Nick Paul as a better option than someone that they've drafted, developed in house, who's, who's, well, will be less expensive moving forward. Um, whether Paul comes back to Tampa remains to be seen, but it's always interesting that Tampa views Paul as an important part of his core moving forward, or as a nice complementary piece, but Ottawa didn't with their young core moving forward. And obviously the circumstances are a little bit different because, you know, Ottawa has some depth guys uh, coming up through the system who could possibly displace Paul sometime in the near future. So, there's obvious, It's a little bit more nuance than that, but uh, yeah, in terms of a player, very similar in terms of point production, right? I think their skill sets are a little bit different. Matthew is more of a blazer, whereas Paul's a bigger guy who kind of tries to get by with the smarts, kind of like Mark Stone-ish in how he tries to create turnovers and then generate chances on turnovers, but um, listening to Julian Breezebaw talk, he thought Nick Paul was a big body who could play that physical playoff-type hockey, and he thought he would be a real good asset for Tampa, so... Um it looks like a win for both teams. Like Ottawa got a draft pick and they have someone in someone in Joseph who is under team control. He should be cost-effective for the next year or two and then we'll see what they have and if Joseph's not a significant piece, he could be someone that could be flipped down the road too. So it's not a bad return.
0: Definitely. And I think it's interesting that Joseph is just a very similar player to Paul. Not not necessarily like as you are alluding to, you know, he's he's not as big as Paul and he's not going to be like a bruiser or anything, but he is similar in terms of his results. Like they're both, I believe on pace for 25 points, you know, they're both good penalty killers, things like that. So yeah, I'm happily surprised to see that they could get someone that can effectively replace what Paul has. And they got that pick and, you know, a younger player. So, Um, but I mean, I will say it is a bit disappointing that they couldn't keep a fan favorite around once again. Um, But then again, like, I don't know, how much were you willing to pay him on this next contract? Because like, that's obviously, as you mentioned, a, a nuanced part of this conversation where I think what Ottawa was offering was quite fair, but um, yeah, I don't know, like how, how high would you have been willing to go with him?
1: I, I think for me, you know, the contract that was reported publicly was four years at 2.5. And I think that's, that is fair, but I think, you know, like Paul, if, if Paul goes to another state like 2.5 carries a little bit more money than it would here in Ontario. Right. So that's like a consideration that you kind of have to keep in mind in the back of your head. Like if Paul goes elsewhere to like Texas or something where the state, state taxes are less, like that's, that's significantly more money in his pocket uh, rather than if he remains in Canada. Maybe that's, maybe that's part of it. Uh, like, I, I don't know. And we don't really know. We know Nick Paul's ask was North of three, I believe because, you know, guys like Elliot Friedman were reporting that three is the magic number that both parties like should be drawn towards, but it never got to that point. Right. Like 2.5 was reported to be Ottawa's final offer and they stuck to it. And, you know i i don't blame him like four years of Nick paul um at, at two point five like he could be redundant by the second or third year of that deal just based off the talent that Ottawas accrued in, in the prospect system so it's it, it's it's one of those things where I understand Ottawa's uh, point about you know not wanting to lock themselves in the bottom six forwards for for multiple years but um you're right like he's a guy who was developed here he wasn't drafted here but he was developed here uh he's kind of gone through some turbulent years He was waived it was the league passed him over, even though I thought it's, he had some good numbers and there's some good underlying stuff there to show that he could play in this league. Um, but, he, you know, he's... He carved out a niche here in Ottawa. It's kind of disappointing to see him go because he was a fan favorite, you know? His, his girlfriend, uh, or fiance, I should say, uh, is involved in the community, right? Like, I believe she works for Chiyo. So it's just... It's it's unfortunate, and uh, he he seems like a smart kid. All all his teammates gen, genuinely liked him. Uh, the media is nothing to say but positive things. So it's just it's a case of another good player and good guy who's going out the door, and it's it's just a financial thing. And I, I kind of understand where Ottawa's coming from in some respects, but at the same time, um, it's again you know it's just a revolving door of impending unrestricted free agents who just seem to leave. Ottawa digs their heels in and. You know, and then we haven't really alluded to it at this point, but like to see Ottawa go out and trade for Travis uh, Hamanick, uh shortly thereafter is just kind of, you know, they, they took on some money to do that. And, you know, the jury's still out on what kind of person he is and what kind of player he is at this stage of his career. So to see them just spend right away immediately like that is kind of interesting. It's it's kind of like another wrinkle and, and element to consider as well.
0: Absolutely. And we can segue to that in a second about Hamanick. Um, but just one last point with Paul here, I think it's, as you allude to, it's sort of, I feel like fans can have both these opinions where, you know, you're saying that um, their offer to Paul was very fair, and I, I would agree with that, and, you know, I, I wouldn't really be wanting to pay $3 million or more than that, so I think it was fair that they you know offered what they offered and and moved him because they they weren't going to be able to keep him but at the same time you know it's just another one of these guys that they couldn't keep so I think it's fair to be okay with the return but also frustrated that you know another guy is out the door and it's also insane to me that he had been here for almost eight years right he had been here since July 1st 2014 um, you know was the longest tenured member of the organization even though he wasn't in the NHL the whole time but um, it is fascinating now that, you know, Thomas Shabbat, who drafted in 2015, he's the guy that's that's been here the longest. But as you say, Travis Hamanick, that was a deal that actually had happened a few hours prior on Sunday. And, you know, I'm sure we all know what it is now, but it's uh, Travis Hamanick to the Senators for a third round pick going back to the Canucks. And, you know, it certainly had a lot of people angry and Myself included, I mean, can you try to explain what their rationale is here? What Pierre Dorian's thinking?
1: I think it kinda of checks the hits a lot of the checkboxes, uh, in terms of what Otto was looking for in a defenseman, right? Like big physical guy, not necessarily renowned as a puck mover. The coaching staff is vegged for him because they they already have some familiarity with the player. And um it, it was just a guy that they could have for a draft pick. And um, you know, like if, if And I wrote this online, like, and if if Ottawa has a belief that this guy is going to help them defensively, that that's one thing. Why they would make this move now without realizing what the market is going to be like this summer? It just seems weird to lock yourself into a guy who hasn't been very good these past few years, uh, especially in Calgary. Like, and it's not like he hasn't played with good players. Like he's played with Quinn Hughes, and and they didn't put up good numbers together. So. it's just one of those situations where you kind of wonder, okay, well, you brought in this player. Okay, does that mean Nikita Zaitsev is going to be playing top four minutes next year? Does that mean is going to be playing top four minutes next year? Does that make Nikita Zaitsev expendable in a trade, which wouldn't be the worst thing in the world? Like there's a, there's a few elements that you kind of want to see if they play out. But if Ottawa goes into next season with Artem Zub, who's on an expiring deal as a free agent, uh, unrestricted free agent, you have Nikita Zaitsev back in the fold, who's been underwhelming since since joining Ottawa. And then you bring in Travis Hamidic at the recommendation of Jack Campuano, um, I, I think they're in for a world of disappointment. And it's it's one of those situations where, you know, you, like you have two young pieces, which, you know, you're affording guys like Lassie Thompson, Jacob Bernard, Docker a little bit more time to develop in the AHL and, and you know, just just marinate a little bit more and hopefully develop it and a productive players uh, sometime in the near future, hopefully. But um, it's, it's kind of underwhelming. You look at their defense next year, if that's what they're going with, like, uh, I, there's been a number of times where you're looking at Ottawa play especially in the last like 20 games where you're just thinking okay well if Ottawa does bring in Jake Sanderson and Shane Pinto they still need more help like i'm sure those players are those prospects are going to be really good but like they need more veteran help than what they're getting out of their guys right now and if Travis Hammond is the answer it, it's just totally underwhelming to me and it's kind of consistent with where they've where they've aired in the past in terms of the play evaluations, especially on the blue line. Um, they repeatedly make mistakes with their veterans on the back end. And, you know, you look at guys like Josh Brown, who was brought in, Michael Delzato. Um, they've made repeated mistakes, and none of these guys have panned out. And, you know, maybe if the bar is to get Hamannick into 11 games as opposed to 10 like Delzato has, maybe that's a win for the organization. But at this point, it's 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 pretty frustrating. It's pretty frustrating to keep watching the same mistakes being made over and over and over again.
0: Yeah, and I think what's frustrating is that we know moves will be made in the off season, and we know that Dorian was looking for you know, a top-four defenseman, top-six forward. It sounds like he thinks one of those things is already checked off, right? Like, you know, one of those players that he's going to acquire, he already has. So I'm not even expecting him to really try to upgrade the D in the offseason beyond Hamanick. Um And I think what's the most damning with this move is just checking out Canucks Twitter right you know I'm obviously someone that lives in Vancouver like I follow a decent amount of people within the market and you know they're laughing at this deal they're saying how much of a steal it is and uh, you know I think most people would have taken Hamannik for nothing they would have you know they just wanted to get rid of his cap hit so the fact that Ottawa actually paid a third for him you know full salary going the other way to Ottawa I think it's just I don't know It it, it was a rare red flag in itself,
1: right? It's it's a huge red flag in the sense that, okay, Vancouver's trying to make it go for it, and they're (laughs) willing to trade a guy who's playing more than 18 minutes a night to Ottawa for a third round pick. And the play by play guy is quoting Vancouver's play by play guy is saying this is one of the best trades that they've made in the last 10 years. Like, yeah, (laughs) that's 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 a little bit disconcerting.
0: I mean, don't you think it's like a bit. Frustrating that they're willing to throw around $3 million willy nilly at this guy and they aren't going to be paying Paul. Or, you know, we see references to, oh, they're, they're going to have to pay, you know, guys like Norris and things like that. All of a sudden, boom, they just have $3 million less in the budget for next season.
1: Well, that's the thing, right? Even with Dadinov, uh to a certain respect, you see Ottawa dump his like $5 million contract in the offseason. You're like, okay, great. Let's reallocate yeah. that money on better players. And then it just winds up being Nick Holden, now Hammond. And so that's where the money's gone. And you're like, well, you're just kind of reallocating the money on guys who are just okay or, or not that impactful. So it's just you're taking one problem and you're just turning it into another problem.
0: Absolutely. And another thing we should mention too is that it seems like Jack Capuano was one of the big, you know, people trying to orchestrate this deal. And they've, they've been on, um, you know, they've been wanting to get Hamnick for a few years now. And I feel like that's just such a massive red flag. It seems like all of these deals involve, you know, whether it's DJ Smith, you know, used to coach him in Junior or something like that, or, or Capuano used to coach him in New York, whatever. It's it just seems like the coaching staff is so much of their pro scouting, even though, you know, some of the, so many of their opinions on these players are just very outdated.
1: I don't even know if it's just that, right? Like it's it's fair if you want to bring in players that people are familiar with i think familiarity sure. is huge right but at the same time like that brings in an element of bias and you know at at some point in your discussions when you're thinking about acquiring certain players like uh, there has to be like it can't just be like a group of like-minded people saying oh yeah 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 that's a great idea that's a great idea like i think there has to be kind of pushback and like analysis done on what this player brings to the table and, you know, like we've, we've talked about this before or previously on other episodes, but like Ottawa's front office um, doesn't have a ton of analytical help, right? Like they don't have a full-time analytics employee. They don't have like data analysts crunching numbers in-house. There's, um, I'm sure they have proprietary data, but like you don't know what they're putting value on and what they're not and if they're looking for like inefficiencies to exploit. And to this point, it just seems like the same mistakes are being made over and over and over again. And there just isn't a ton of risk mitigation. Uh, being taken with a lot of these deals like there's it's just it's 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 a name because you know you can crowdsource this kind of stuff online and you can get that like feedback immediately there's tons of blogs and there's tons of analysts out there who will do this for free like mike and blake mccurry every time a trade's made yep. he's posting up. <laughs> this guy this is what this guy is and he's you know it's free it's free information and you see it all the time and it's just uh, it's it's absolutely frustrating to listen to sometimes
0: absolutely i i think this Hammond X trade is probably one of the more frustrating ones over, I don't know, this, I guess, in, in during Dorian's tenure, um, just because I think it represents a lot of other issues. And we can kind of get into that at the end of the episode. Um, but I, I do want to touch on the other trades that Dorian made. And there, there are two NHL deals. We don't really have to mention the Michael McNiven one, which is just an, an AHL move. But um, the first of them being Josh Brown and a seventh, which could turn into a sixth for Zach addition and a fifth um coming from Boston. Do you think getting anything for Brown is a win here?
1: I think it has to be. I think like, well, obviously when you bring in Hammond, someone has to go and Josh Brown was kind of like the de facto guy that we call kind of all understood, right? He's an impending UFA. He's relatively inexpensive. Um, you figure he's probably going to be the easiest one to move on the right side unless Artem Zub for whatever reason was moved at the door instead because he's the guy who obviously carries the most value. But, um, Brown was a guy to go and yeah, to get anything for him, um, I uh, can be considered a win. I mean, like really, you're talking about a fifth round pick and an HL guy who's just really there to help Belleville's, um, playoff prospects. So, you know, like Seneshen's, uh arriving in Belleville and I, he's immediately the team's leading goal scorer with 19. So that's what he's here for. He's an impending group, six free agent. So, um, Barring some situation where Ottawa just resigns him to uh, to another like one-year extension or whatever, just to see what he has uh, might not be the worst thing in the world because he does have some, you know, he although he is 24, turning 25 soon, like he he's a guy who was highly regarded at one point in his career, right? Like he was a former first-round pick. He was probably most renowned for being picked ahead of Thomas Shabbat the year that Ottawa <laughs> drafted Shabbat. So, um, yeah, it, it'd be interesting. It's a free look at a player, right? And that's that's all you can really ask for. And Ottawa landed a fifth with it, so. There's nothing wrong with that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think Brown, I'm sure, wouldn't have had much value around the league. So, again, just, just kind of getting anything for him is a win. Um, not too much to add for me. I mean, yeah, like like you said, Sanitian is, is going to be a good player down in Belleville. And it looks like they'll surprisingly have their, their first ever playoff appearance, even though technically they, they were going to make two years ago before COVID happened. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, having them in the playoffs will be, will be exciting, so not too much to say on that one, but the fourth and final move was Zach Sanford being dealt to the Jets for another fifth-round pick, and it just seemed like Sanford didn't really want to be here. Are you surprised that's all they could get for him, though?
1: Not really. Like, what did he have, nine goals and 17 points or something on the season? Like, he's i found watching him play. there yeah, i can understand why like when he came from st louis you read some of the reports on him and they're like yeah, he can frustrate you at times because it obviously looks like he can be a player it's just it doesn't materialize often enough or consistently enough uh to invest a ton of faith or time and money into him and you know you, you've you seen games in ottawa where he looks good where he, you know he's on the forecheck he's laying bodies he's he's creating turnovers and then you see the shot and you you see that there is a little bit of skill to his game as well, but for whatever reason, it just doesn't manifest consistently. And it leads to, you know, people, people kind of slagging him as a guy who doesn't work that hard. And like, I don't, I don't know the guy. I like, I'm not around the guy all the time. So I, I can't really speak to his work habits or anything like that, but I can understand why just watching him play, uh, he would frustrate the people um, uh, who value or who value players with the organization. Like, I, I totally understand why the cut and bait and, um, to get a fifth is it's not the worst thing in the world even though you know I I think the biggest thing at this point is is Ottawa going to get that conditional fourth back from St. Louis because otherwise it's it's essentially just that they added a draft pick for for Logan Brown which is fine
0: yeah exactly and it is too bad that Sanford didn't work out because you know there were previous seasons in St. Louis where he was actually quite an effective bottom six player and um, you know he was I think there was one season where he was on pace for for 20 goals so it's not like he was just some, you know, guy that they claimed off waivers. Like, he actually had a decent amount of value, but, you know, as as you say, like, if he's not showing you his his full effort and he's not playing to his potential, essentially, I mean, I don't think it was really ever going to work out here. And I don't think he was—they probably never even had talks to to re-sign at all, so— Again, I think one
1: get- of one of the, the things that really hurts Ottawa though, especially in the bottom six, is that Ottawa's blue line doesn't move the puck well enough no. to transition well. So they spend a disproportionate amount of time in their own end defending, and that kind of leads to bad numbers and and long shifts and what have you. And it, I think that's why I'm kind of like intrigued to see what Nick Paul can do in Tampa because you know like that's that's a really good team and and. You know, I feel like there is a little bit more untapped offensive upside to them. Like I found, like in Ottawa, there is a lot of dump and chase playing with like Connor Brown and stuff, where they're just relying on their on their strong forechecking abilities to create havoc and stuff. But um I think if if guys like Paul or or even Sanford and Winnipeg get an opportunity to play with guys who can move the puck a little bit better than than the guys who are here in Ottawa, I'd be kind of intrigued to see what they can do. But who knows?
0: I mean, I think. I saw someone mention that Paul might be playing on a third line with like Ross Colton and Brandon Hagel. And then obviously like their defense has guys like Sergeyev and Hedman and McDonough, like all these guys. So yeah, I think that could have a huge improvement on just like his, his, you know, his point totals and things like that. And he'll probably fit in quite seamlessly on the third line and maybe even fourth line. Cause they, you know, are quite a deep team, but uh, definitely something to, to watch out um, in the playoffs. And, you know, I've I've never like hated Tampa Bay or anything, but I know some people do, especially they're they do not want to see a three peat. But I guess that'd be one reason to somewhat root for Tampa just to root for Nick Paul.
1: Yeah, I, I find as I'm getting older I'm like I stop hating teams as and and players oh, yeah. as much as like I just find I'm, I'm starting to gravitate towards like I just like certain players and watching certain players play and, and having success. And like I think Nick Paul's gonna wind up being one of those guys that I kind of keep tabs on moving forward. Like he's just a guy that I've always kind of pulled for. And even when he was getting like kind of jerked around by like Guy Boucher uh, in his formative years here in Ottawa and was put on waivers and stuff, I was kind of like confused as to why, because the underlying numbers were actually pretty good. And I thought he offered something, and some elements that Ottawa was lacking at the time. And it's good to see his kind of career um, come to a point where he can cash in on the open market and hopefully have some success with Tampa this year
0: can just sum it up by saying Nick Paul does it all. (laughs) Um, Now, I briefly want to talk about some deals that didn't happen, such as Chris Tierney, Victor Mete, Austin Watson, and I guess even Anton Forsberg. Would you have liked to see any of those players get dealt as well?
1: Uh, I just don't think there's a market for a lot of those guys, right? Like Chris Tierney mm-hmm. has dealt with back issues, and I think like even as far as two years ago, like he wasn't a bad bottom six guy, but uh, injuries have just hampered his ability to, act to play at an effective level uh, for long periods of time, and and you can kind of see it through his point production and, and and everything else. Like I think there is value to Chris Tierney, um, but it's nowhere near uh, where it was uh, years a few just as recently as two years ago, but eh, his, his contract is so prohibitive. He's making over $4 million that that was never really a realistic option. Uh, Austin Watson seems to be a DJ Smith favorite. Um, and he, you know, as a tough guy, he brings elements that this team doesn't really have, especially after dealing Josh Brown. So I'm not surprised to see him stay. Uh, they also value him as a, as a penalty killer as well. So, um, after dumping Paul, although they're like Matthew Joseph was brought in to, and he'll probably be an excellent one. I'm actually really excited to see what he can do. Uh, if he winds up playing shifts with Alex Wormans in shorthanded, I think that's yeah. some of the most exciting shorthanded hockey we've probably ever <laughs> seen uh, in Ottawa. But um, yeah, I think there's value to what Watson brings and obviously they like him for, for some of the elements that make him unique on this roster, even though I, I think he's kind of an expendable player. Um <clears throat> One of the guys who I was kind of surprised that didn't generate a little bit more pub is like maybe Eric Branstrom. I thought like he could have been potentially one of those young players. Maybe this will be a trade in the off season, but maybe he'll be one of those uh, young players who's moved for an, another struggling young player who's failed to make like really, really make his mark in the league at this point. Like I feel like Branstrom's kind of spinning his tires a bit here and that's, that's what Jake Sanderson ever really getting here. Um, Obviously, Brandstrom's a guy who's got 20 games left in the season to showcase what he can do now that Shabbat's out of the lineup and and Sanderson's injured as well, so it might take him a little while before he really arrives in Ottawa. Um, But he's a guy who's really got to showcase himself well uh, if he's going to stay in this organization, because I think he's probably a guy who's going to get moved this summer at some point. They just don't like undersized defensemen who don't put up good uh, underlying numbers, and to this point, it just hasn't happened for him.
0: Yeah. And I think if you look at their depth chart moving forward for next season, you know, left side, you're going to have Shabbat, almost certainly Sanderson and Nick Holden. And on the right, you'll have Zub, Zaitsev and um, Travis Hamanick. So, I I mean, obviously, I would put Branstrom ahead of at least a few of those guys. But based on what Ottawa values, I just can't really see them doing it. So, um but he should, fresh at this d-
1: point in his career, he's probably not worth a lot either, right? Like, no, did you read exactly. That, did you read that Ian Mendez uh, column recently? where he's yeah, did. The, yeah. Prospect of trade offers and whether or not yeah. teams would do it. And then just listening to some scouts and executives talk about they're like, you're probably getting a third or fourth round pick for him. And that's not worth career. it. <laughs> And that's kind of where you're at, but maybe there's another project out there that some team would be real, willing to roll the dice on. So yeah, who knows, but, um, Forsberg's the interesting one too. Right. And I mm-hmm. kind of talked about that in my piece that I posted, um, this, this morning, uh, after he signed his extension, you know, uh, Three years, and 2.75 doesn't seem like a ton of money, but the tournament is kind of long for a backup goaltender in this league, right? Especially such a volatile position. And and one of the things that I noticed with Forsberg's numbers is that like his shorthanded save percentage is, is ridiculously high relative to the league average. So hmm. if you expect some regression there, you know, he's. I think, uh, what did I have it down? I think it was like second or third. It was like second or third highest in the league. It was like ninety-one point seven four or something like that, where the league average is yeah. eighty. Is point eight six four. Um, so, if you get some regression there, his numbers are obviously going to go down, and that's just sh- shorthanded. Uh, he's also exceeding uh, the league average save percentage at uh, all situations, so you could probably expect some some uh, regression to the mean there, and. You know, if you get some regression, then you begin to talk about, well, is he worth a three-year term? Is he worth two point seven five? Is investing that much money in Matt Murray and Anton Forsberg a good, a good solution to the Senators' goaltending problems? And you can, you can kind of just go down that well a little bit. But um, in fairness to him, uh, he's had a really good uh, season, especially after the month of January. Uh, he's kind of bolstered the position a little bit. He's, he's kind of kept the team afloat here and allowed them to be competitive in games that they probably didn't deserve to be. And, uh, you know, for a guy's who's bounced around his career and last season, he was on waivers like countless times and, you know, to kind of get, give him an opportunity to solidify his, uh, his personal situation. I, that's probably one of the greatest stories on the senators this season, yeah. even though, even though I'm kind of hesitant to say that, you know, you can expect this kind of performance that he's showcasing now um, moving forward. I think that's, that's kind of a dangerous game to play right now, but I think, you know um, just for him personally, I think it's a great story for the senators.
0: Mm-hmm. It's a contract that the senators love to do. You know, this is, Andrew Hammond, Mike Condon, Anders Nielsen, and now Anton Forsberg. You know, they they love giving their backup goalies two to three years. And yeah, like you said, he's been really, really solid this year. Like, quite fantastic. But can he keep that up? I, like, probably not. Hopefully he can at least be backup worthy, right? Like, it's a tough situation they're in because... I mean, who knows what's even going on with Murray right now, if if it's a physical thing or if, physical, if it's physical and mental. Like, I, I don't know. There has to be something more going on behind the scenes there because I don't know how you can trust him as a goalie next season. So, I certainly don't mind them keeping Forsberg. I mean, he's, he's earned that contract. So, yeah. Um, Interesting. That's, situation. Been the problem.
1: that's been the problem of the whole season, right? Yeah. If you look at him uh, and his work as a whole and you're like, Well, how can you move another veteran goalie when you have yeah. no idea what you're gonna get on a game to game basis or week to week basis with a guy who's either performing inconsistently or just can't stay in the lineup? Like how do you you can't you can't necessarily handcuff Philip Gustafson to him because of Gustafson, uh who we've barely seen mm-hmm. at all this year because of inconsistencies and injuries and, and everything else, he just hasn't played regularly regularly enough to get a good beat on. Um how how do you how do you handcuff him to Matt Murray and risk running a goaltending situation where like Gustafson has to be your guy every night? Like that's kind of unfair to a young goaltender. And he's like, also
0: got, got know, a one, one year, uh, or sorry, one way contract next year.
1: Yeah, so it, it's 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 a bad situation. But you know, like if you look back at the time when Matt Murray was signed, like these were the red flags and concerns, right? Like this is a guy who hasn't played a lot. Of, like he hasn't played played a full slate of games in, in such a long time. And and. He hasn't played well at a high level in, in quite a few years. So this is this is like, you know, these were the risks. These were the risks that they inherited and and they ignored them and they pursued Matt Murray, believing like the first two years of his career were gonna be what they could unearth back here in Ottawa.
0: Yeah, it'll be fascinating to see what they do in the offseason. I wouldn't be surprised if there was a buyout or something. Um, I don't know. I, I don't really envy Dorian for what he has to do in that in that situation. But anyway, the last thing I want to touch on here is just the overall sense of the direction of this rebuild. Are you more or less confident in Pierre Dorian, you know, the front office, the organization, just in general, than you were, say, six months ago?
1: Uh, it, to me, the, there's been suspect moves made ever since he inherited the position, right? Like starting with the Zabana trade and moving on, like, uh, it, it just their asset management has never been strong. Um, even today in his press conference, he alluded to like making the Hamannick deal saying, Hey, we have so many picks anyways. Like what's, what's a third round pick for Hamonic? Like we have so many picks anyways. Like if that's, if that's how you value, you know, one of your limited, most valuable commodities um, it, it kind of speaks volumes, right? And, you know, like, it, it's one thing to have too many picks in your view, but it's another thing of how to use them, how to use them and and, and allocate them efficiently. And Ottawa's never demonstrated that they can do that properly. They're, you know, like I was, I've been looking through Pierre like signing histories and free agent histories. And most of the guys that he signs or trades are gone within the first two years of that deal.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: It, it's, it's, if you look back at it, it's it's crazy. And then you start looking at some of the signings like Matt Murray, Delzato's wave ten games in his thing, you're probably looking at a column white buyout. Um it's it just goes on and on and on. And most of these guys get moved or, or waived or bought out. And it's it's just a, it's just an asset allocation problem. And like Ottawa's not a big spending team. Like this isn't a team that can just paper over the mistakes easily. Like this is a team that they need all the draft picks they can get because they need an inexpensive young talent continuing to come into this, this, this pipeline. And you, know, when you lose guys like Nick Paul, you need young guys to step into the lineup right away to kind of replace them. You can't, you can't just go out and flip assets every time, every time you sign a guy to a bad contract to get out from underneath it. You can't flip assets to replace guys that you have a hard time signing. It's just at some point you kind of just have to recognize what you are as a small market team with limited resources and, and, and take advantage of it. I like, you know, I hate going back to like the formative days of this franchise because obviously there's there's been an evolution in modern hockey, but um, that team won on a budget and they did it by hoarding assets and using them wisely. And we haven't seen that with Ottawa under Pairedorian's management. It's just it's it's not reckless, but it's just the message the message and the actions just are incongruent. It's just this is a guy who, who I think struggles. Um, just to build a roster, it's one thing to bottom out, gut your roster, and you know, build around a bunch of top five picks and top ten picks. It's another to like supplement that roster properly and use what use your limited cap space and, and budget to maximize the potential of the franchise. And it's not happening. It hasn't happened since day one. And you know, Dorian Dorian's famous quote from today's conference was, "Well, just wait wait to judge us next year in camp." So um, there, there's going to be a lot of pressure on him, right? Like. You know, you got Brady Kachuk, you got Drake Batherson, you got Josh Norris. All these guys are entering what should be the primes of their careers, like 22 years to 27 years old. Um, they're they're in their prime years right now. Thomas Shabbat is in the prime of his career, statistical prime of his career right now. This is this is your window. This is your maximum. This is your best opportunity to win with this group. And they're struggling to surround them with talent, and uh, that's got to change. And there's going to be a lot of pressure uh, on management not just probably from ownership, but from fans as well, to like showcase, uh, at least for management to show that they can, they're competent enough to build around these guys efficiently, and it hasn't happened at this point. And at some point, you got to stop rebuilding, and you got to start going for it a little bit. And based off the trades and signings and everything else that Pyrdorian's made uh, to try and improve this team, like many of those moves have failed, and they've bought them out quickly and like how much how much faith how much faith and goodwill are you going to continue to get from this franchise just saying hold on just wait a little bit longer just we're going to move the goalposts a little bit to next training camp like there should be a ton of pressure on these guys to improve the roster right away and I I think he's starting to feel that based off the response that was that was around yesterday and especially today I think a lot of fans are fed up
0: right and they should be and I think you said that extremely well I think most people would rather have a different gym right now and some of that is, you know, just coming off of an immediate reaction, you know, things just happening, emotions are high, things like that. But even even so, as you allude to, like, you you look at the track record with the guys that he's brought in, it's, it's pretty pathetic, right? And it's, at some point you have to show that you can actually bring in NHL talent and surround these guys and actually build that team. So it's quite frustrating, as you say, like, they're in this prime and they're going to ha- have to actually add to this roster and show that they can, you know, not just scout in junior leagues and in, you know, CHL, things like that. That's the the strangest thing. It, they can clearly scout players in the WHL, the OHL, you know, junior leagues in Sweden, but for some reason in the league that it should be the easiest to do it in, the NHL, they can't do that. It's It's quite fascinating. And, like, this is a team that is effectively in a Moneyball system where they, you know, are very limited budget-wise, but aren't using the best parts of the Moneyball where they're using analytics like we were talking about before or, or, like, using resources that they have in order to sort of get a leg up or at least, you know, level the playing field a bit. So, I don't know. I feel like there's just going to have to be huge changes for this team to actually capitalize on their window. And, you know, it is weird to talk about their window when they haven't even been close to making the playoffs but
1: no and i'm not trying to scare fans as well right like not no saying, but it's well, true though team, it's true passed away now under brady kachuk it's like well you need i'd rather maximize the window that's there now rather absolutely than like three years down the road when like brady kachuk's gonna be like 26 like if that's when the centers start being competitive when those guys are like 26 27 28 well it's like yeah. that's that's fine like eventually that's great if the team starts to do well but all of a sudden your window is going to be a lot smaller down the road than it would be if it was now like you know the first five years as opposed to like three years down the road well
0: their window is like the next like six years or so when all these guys are still under contract right like because after that right. i don't think you can guarantee they're gonna stay right
1: and it's gonna be difficult to navigate right because like mm-hmm. uh you know I've, I've talked to some other people as well and it's like jake is gonna come up ridley Gregg is probably gonna come up those are two well-respected prospects who kind of have like a lot of people have high expectations for. And I think they're safely projectable to be like, you know, a a top nine forward and uh, hopefully a top two or four defenseman at Sanderson. Right. Uh, But aside from that, I don't think there's a lot of prospect certainty uh, of the guys in the system. So I think the real danger is that, you know, if you start moving some of the prospects and picks out that they've accrued now, you're at the risk of, of kind of like depleting the system to a point where you can't really keep it sustainable in the next four or five years too so there's kind of like a deaf delicate give and go uh to the senator situation that's why i kind of laugh at dorian when he says like, you know we have tons of picks we get we're we should be totally comfortable moving some of them so it, it's a fine line and it's just i, I just don't know how this team's going to get better because they're kind of like they've been so bad over the last four years and uh, you know you see the colorado deal that they made uh for matt to and you know you you'd hate to see them give up another first round asset that isn't protected, that turns into be something good. And, you know, like they made that mistake before uh, misjudging the window and stuff, but there's going to be a ton of pressure on this team to improve. And uh, at some point they're going to have to go for it with somebody, but I, I just, it, it was, it's to a point where it's just how much confidence and faith do you have in this management group to make a trade that's that's good. And what's the last big trade that this organization has won?
0: It's been a while. Um, at least acquiring someone right rather than you know trading someone out like obviously we can think of you know De trade or even duchene trade like getting rid of those guys sure they won those but yeah like bringing somebody in i don't know it's been a while and i think if they are in a similar spot in say november december i hope and and would think that smith and dorian's job um Job
1: prospects aren't the best, and that's the other part of the problem too, right? Like in years past, you'd say, "Well, maybe Dorian's job will be be in jeopardy," but at the same time, you're kind of thinking, "Well, who in the right mind wants to come to Ottawa to work for this owner?" (laughs) Pierre Maguire. Pierre (laughs) Maguire. He's like the guy in a guy in in waiting, right? So, like maybe there is a situation this offseason where you know Melick looks at. What Ottawa's done under Dorian and looks at prospective buyout options, you know, whether the team looks at guys like Zaitsev, Matt Murray, Colin White, like, those are contracts that uh, Dorian acquired and brought brought into the fold. And, you know, is he going to be held responsible for some of these decisions that he's made? Like like you said, like, gutting a roster down to the bone and, and trading value to, valuable players to other teams, it's the easy way to stockpile picks and get high picks, and the Senators would take advantage of that with guys like Stutz, Sanderson, Kachaka, and what have you, but um, it's it, the job gets harder. The job gets harder as these players come into the system, and you have to make the team better around those guys.
0: Absolutely, and <laughs> you know it. It kind of sucks having to be all, all doom and gloom on this on this deadline day and things like that. But I think a lot of fans are are feeling what we're feeling right now. It's it's been a bit of a, a frustrating day, and the, the funny thing is, it's mainly just that one move, that Hamnick one. I feel like that kind of encapsulates it all, but. Um, I think it's fair for for people to be frustrated. Having said that, to finish it off, just just one final quick question, and and I don't want you to elaborate on it. I just want you to give a a quick answer. Just give us one reason, either a, a word or a sentence, as to why fans should still have hope with this group.
1: There's no alternative. The, the only other alternative is apathy, right? Like, you, if, <laughs> if, if if you're not invested in this team, like. Hopes all you have, right? Like whether that's Sanderson coming into the fold, Shane Pinto coming into the fold, uh, improving this 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 group's this young core's chances. That's that's fantastic. And now we're starting to gravitate towards, hey, maybe there's this pipe dream that Giroux will win a cup this year in Florida, and then (laughs) he'll want to retire at home in in Ottawa. He'll be that top six forward to help fill fill a hole. But I mean, like, there's tons of room for optimism, right? Like I know you mentioned like doom and gloom, but you know, if if Ottawa gets a top five or a top ten pick, they wind up getting like a high skill forward or a top four defenseman um that's a great asset to put in the pipeline right and Mm -hmm. then yeah maybe it is a pipe dream to to add a guy like closure but maybe it's more realistic possibility than we're giving the credit for and all of a sudden that fills the top six need you slide Alex Formanson down to the third line and all of a a sudden the team's depth and, and and talent level improves exponentially so um I think there can be room for optimism you can win under this owner I think they've shown that before in the past like this team can go on a real heater and, and, and win some games. And I think they got a young talented core that they can actually be proud of. Um, it's just, you've got to support these kids. Like you can't keep losing games. And you know, the, the image that stands out in the last two weeks is like Brady could with his head down at the end of that Arizona game. Uh, and it was down for like 30 seconds. You're like, Oh fuck, I haven't seen that yet. Like that's something that's new. I haven't seen that from Brady at all uh, since he's been here. And you know, you talk about the young enthusiasm and, and just what the, what these kids have together. Like, they, you can tell, like, they're all tight-knit and, and, and they love to be around each other. And then, you know, you see guys, like, well, like, players go out the door like Nick Paul. You're like, okay, well, now the dynamic's starting to change. Like, how long are these guys going to have kind of that youthful, uh, exuberant optimism and love of the game. Like at what point does that change if, if the losing ways continue? And that's not a doom and gloom thing. It's just the reality. Like at some point you got to make this team more competitive or you're gonna or you gonna risk alienating the players and and they might want to change. So the pressure's on. The pressure's on this summer. Like Dorian says wait till next camp, well put a good roster on the ice. Like you're the one who's responsible. Like you can mm-hmm. go through his list of moves and everything else. And there's a reason why a lot of people just don't have faith in him. There's a lot of reasons why the, a lot of fans have turned off and, and have become apathetic because of the owner. Like there's, there's a lot of valid reasons why a lot of people have t- tuned out and, and the pressures on these guys to put a fucking winner on the ice. And at some point it has to happen or it's just going to get worse.
0: Absolutely. And you know, as you say, hope is all we've got here and you know things can happen who knows they do have that good core which is is good like it's not like they're starting from nothing so we know they do have the pieces um we'll just have to wait and see which is the frustrating part is the fact that we can't do anything but that is you know the life of a senators fan um but i think that'll do it for today thank you so much graham for coming on and before we sign off is there anything you want to plug here
1: No, uh, people can check out my work at uh, gnickels.substack.com. You can find me on Twitter at Six Sends. And Trevor, thanks so much, man.
0: Yeah, thanks for coming on. It's always a pleasure. Appreciate it. As I wrap it up, reminder that you can find the Cost point Pointcast on iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and Stitcher. And if you really enjoy it, you can rate and review the podcast on those platforms as well. You can follow me on Twitter at ShackTS, read my articles at silver 7 Cents, and also follow my YouTube channel called The Hockey Shack. If you want to submit a listener question for an upcoming episode, send me a message at cppointcast on Twitter where you'll get any updates about the show. That's all for me. Adios.